some sauce, fire up the barbie. Len and Jeff, welcome you. Here's baseball and barbecue. This is Doug Shiding of Row Cookers, baseball fan and barbecue world champion. You are listening to the Baseball and Barbecue Show with Lynn and Jeff. From the studios of Baseball and BBQ on Long Island, New York, this is episode number 143 of Baseball and Barbecue. I'm Jeff Cohen, along with Leonard Hollywood Aberman, and we welcome you back to our show. Leonard, what's in a game? What's in a game exactly, Jeff? We changed a little bit. I hope Shakespeare isn't going to give us a hard time. We took what's in a name. We made it what's in a game. God, we're creative. Jeff, this is a this is going to be a fun episode. This is a segment that just came together with a couple of brilliant ideas by uh, <laughs> Julie. And uh... <laughs> <laughs> please don't hurt yourself patting yourself on the back. OK, you're going to need to throw with that arms, right. please. Leonard, why don't you tell us what it is? All right. Well, we call it what's in a game because we had on Bill Chuck and Bill, hopefully you are listening to this. <laughs> we we know you are and we think you're the best. We had Bill Chuck on and he discussed his game, uh, his book, his book that he wrote with uh, with Bob Ryan called in scoring position, 40 years of a baseball love affair. And then, Jeff, we had the idea. You know what? Of course, we've had Steve Traxel on and there is one specific game, May 6, 2000, that is mentioned in the book. It's a game that Bob Ryan was at. He did the scorecard. And that is a game. Steve Traxel outdueled Pedro Martinez in a one nothing victory. It was Steve Traxel's only one nothing complete game win and Pedro Martinez only one nothing complete game loss. In which Pedro had 17 strikeouts. Yes, he did. And Steve Traxel was not a slouch. He had 11. <laughs> Absolutely no slouch at all. No. We had them on. As a matter of fact, we, we talk about it in the interview. But while we were interviewing Bill Chuck, Steve Traxel actually got in touch with us and we couldn't bring them on during that interview. But we brought them all together. And you know what, Jeff? Basically, when you have Bob Ryan, Bill Chuck and Steve Traxel, you kind of sit back and let the show run itself. You let them take over. Exactly. And and I think for the most part, that's what we did. And I and I think that was the best thing. And then when I say it's a fun show, we have the Grill Dads and they have a new cookbook, the best grilling cookbooks ever written by two idiots. But before we get to that, let me just remind everyone that our partners at Bed Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports information. Find all of the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including Major League Baseball, the latest fighting news, and even next season's early NFL futures. With training camp right around the corner, Bet Online has opened up odds for team wins 
division futures, and of course, the Super Bowl. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BLEAVE. That's B L E A V to get the bonus and get into the action. Bet online where the game starts. And Jeff, as I was saying, Ryan Fay, who goes by Fay, and Mark Anderson are the grill dads. And again, they wrote this book, the best grilling cookbook ever written by two idiots. They are funny. The book is fantastic. The recipes are great. And and the episode, they just, this is a fun episode. That's lots of fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you want to get in touch with the show, give us a call at 516-855-8214. Email us, baseballandbbq at gmail.com. Comment on our Facebook page, Baseball and BBQ. Tweet us, use the Twitter, at Baseball and BBQ. Instagram, Baseball and Barbecue, where barbecue is all spelled out. Our website is www.baseballandbbq.weebly.com. And please rate and review us. And subscribe. Okay. Please. Okay. If people keep emailing me and texting me and asking me, is a new episode out? You don't need to ask me if you subscribe. You will know. Right? That's right. Okay. And with that, let's get to Bob Ryan, Bill Chuck, and Steve Traxel talking about May 6, 2000, the Tampa Bay Devil Rays at the Boston Red Sox. We have a very special segment for our baseball and barbecue listeners. Several episodes back, we had Bill Chuck talking about a book that he co-wrote with Bob Ryan called In Scoring Position, 40 Years of a Baseball Love Affair. Well, we have both these gentlemen on for this segment. Bob Ryan is known as the quintessential American sports writer and a member of five, counting five, Hall of Fame for sports writing. Bill Chuck is the baseball writer and researcher and comes up with great baseball oddities. He writes for the Chicago Sun-Times, and provides research for the L.A. Dodgers. They are here to talk about this one particular game, May 6, 2000, at Fenway Park. Pedro Martinez struck out 17 Tampa Bay Devil Rays, yet was bested by our third guest, Steve Traxel. Steve pitched a one nothing complete game three-hitter. It was his only one one nothing complete game win, and Pedro's only one nothing complete game loss. Welcome, mm-hmm. gentlemen, to Baseball and BBQ. Welcome. Thanks, Jeff. Nice to see you. See you again. Bob, let's start with you. But before I ask a question, Len and I are thrilled that we'll be able to speak with you. It's truly an honor. We have watched you on the Sports Reporters every Sunday for years. Never miss it. Never miss it. Exactly. You scored about 1,500 games and of what you witnessed. And this book, In Scoring Position, you have about 150 scorecards. And you're from Boston, but you followed, and you followed Pedro. But talk about this great, this one great game, how Steve Traxel bested Pedro Martinez. Well, this is Pedro in his prime. In 99 and 2000, Pedro Martinez, it can make an argument. It's one of the best pitching stints in the history of baseball. You can't be much better than Pedro was in those two years. He had, he had microscopic ERAs in a world of, of hitting. And, and he, he, was, he was just ridiculously good. And here, and here comes Steve, who, who, who pitched him. You know, and Steve could take what – what a badge of honor. You know, I think that uh, Pedro came out and had Pedro's A-plus stuff. 
and and Steve beat him with an A plus plus game. Uh, that's something to be on, uh, proud of. And it's a, a good fortune for me and, and Bill was I was there, and it's recorded in my book, my score book, and it's in the book. And uh, I'm, I'm so I'm just so happy to have Steve here to, to be able to talk about it. Steve, what are your remembrances of this game? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The, the, I mean, the first thought was that comes to my mind of the game was well, one was my first time pitching at Fenway. Um, I think we had gone there when I was with the Cubs, but I didn't pitch during the interleague, so this is my first first time pitching at Fenway and uh, warming and up. You in the were bowl. a Devil Ray at the time. I was a Devil Ray at the time. Yes, oh, oh, yes. obviously the Rays because uh, you can't say Devil anymore because it's bad luck for the Rays and all that. <laughs> Warming up, you know, obviously pitching in regularly all those years, you're really close to the fans. And uh, I think at Fenway, the fans might be even closer to you, especially right behind you when you're warming up. And I was expecting a lot more heckling than I got. I think they were they were kind of overconfident <laughs> based on the matchup. And, uh, and I remember finishing up and walking out, and there was like three or four guys. There were probably three or four beers deep already, and they were just kind of like – Good luck. <laughs> it wasn't like, hey, good luck. You got him today. It was just like, yeah, good luck. You're going to last two innings. <laughs> like a fighter against Tyson in right? his prime. <laughs> Goodbye. Wait, what was your okay. thought about the wall? Uh, you know, historically, what, how did you think? How did you react to the wall? I remember that was the first thing I did when I went there as a cub was what I guess what everybody does is you go into the wall. <laughs> and and, and you, you check out how you know how the score works, you know, because you can't get to the one at Wrigley. And and actually, the seven years I I was there, I never went in the scoreboard at Wrigley, and I still to this day can't believe I never did it. So when I went to Fenway, that was the very first thing we did was you know we go out for early pitcher stuff before batting practice, and you're supposed to go out there and sign it. There's nowhere to sign inside that inside the scoreboard. <laughs> there. It is completely already signed. So if you're going to sign, you, yeah. you're signing over somebody and it better not be somebody important, <laughs> especially somebody that's important to anybody in Boston. So let, let me ask you this. What does it, uh, I mean, as Bob was saying, Pedro was at beyond the top of his game. I mean, this was some ultimate, ultimate pitching at that time. Was there, how do you feel when you're facing some? How do you prepare mentally to face a Pedro Martinez? I, I know I don't feel like I prepared any different. I mean, obviously, you know, going in, chances are you're going to have to throw a really good game to give yourself a chance. Pedro's, especially this time, Pedro's not going to give up any runs. I mean, going back to my first win, my first win in my career was also against Pedro when he was in Montreal. And uh-huh. he was pretty darn good back then as well. And uh, I actually got a hit off of him. He he drilled me with an 0-2 pitch, typical Pedro, right? <laughs> and, and, and I got my first winning. I gave up no runs in that game as well. So what was that? Was that April eighth, nineteen ninety four, to be exact? I believe so. Yes. 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 And you went you went seven and a third. You shut out the Expos four nothing, and the loser losing pitcher in that game was Pedro. It was Pedro. And he drilled me with an 0-2 pitch. <laughs> I can't remember if it was before or after I got the hit off of him. But <laughs> And so then again, though, you faced him in 1997 on June 8th, and you went six innings. This time you allowed three runs. But Pedro went six and two-thirds and allowed four runs. <laughs> and while neither of you were involved in the decision, I have it 
F.P. Santalgelo oh. uh, scored on a walk-off double off of Terry Adams. FP you guys scored two in the in the in the bottom of the ninth. We all know what FP stands for in my book. Damn it! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not personal. Just what he was like in the box. F and prick. <laughs> yeah, he's in our uh, Steve. He's in our book too for getting switch hit HBPs. He got hit by a pitch twice in a game. Once left handed and once right handed. Both. And that's in our book. <laughs> switch hitting HBPs. <clears throat> Pretty good, interesting stat to be in for. It is. It's cool. Yeah. That's, that's the essence of our book. Stuff like that. In addition that. to, in addition to great achievements such right. as yours, the day you beat Pedro. <laughs> the the book is called In Scoring Position. It's forty years of a baseball <clears throat> of affair. It's by Bob Ryan and Bill Chuck. Listen to the episode that we had Bill Chuck on. This book is an absolute gem, and you can, I said it on that episode, you can open this book at any place because each chapter is only two to three pages. You will not be able to put this down. You will find interesting stats. I cannot speak high enough about this book. So kind. Thank you for saying that. Thanks, Steve, Steve, really Steve, that. We referred to the book kind of as a, as a, uh, you know, going to the toilet book. You have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> you bring it in. You can open it up at any point. And if you happen to have had Indian food for dinner, you could uh, really uh, read a lot. <laughs> oh, man. That's Bill's description, not mine, by the way. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's legendary, and I'm, uh, you know. Okay, I have a question that maybe you guys answered uh, asked the first time that Steve was with you, you were known as the human rain delay. Now I got to tell you something. One of the things, and I mentioned this, I mentioned this on the first podcast that uh, Bob's scorecards, when, when you see the book, Steve, you'll see Bob's scorecards are so complete and Bob included the time of game of every game that he watched. And so I said to him, (laughs) Who who keeps the time of game on their scorecard? And Ryan says to me, "Who doesn't?" And so, <laughs> it's an but, official stat. But it, it was two hours and thirty six minutes. How right. much of a rain delay, man, could you have been? Well, <laughs> in all in all fairness, it was probably like an hour and forty five minutes of me on the mound and Pedro. <laughs> <laughs> You had 11 strikeouts. You had 11 strikeouts a game. You know, that was going back to like the things I remember. We both struck out the side in the first, Mm -hmm. which was pretty interesting. Uh, That wasn't something I was, you know, pretty uh, known for. And and other than that, it's just like little bits and pieces. And I remember like when Greg Vaughn got the the, the single, you know, to put us ahead. Uh, I remember a ground ball late in the game going through Fred McGriff's legs. Um, But other than that, like putting it together in one consecutive thought, it's it, it's really hard. I just remember parts of the game that happened, and I couldn't tell if they happened in the second inning or the sixth inning or, or, or exactly when after the first inning. Well, Steve, but, I was watching part of the game today, and you got in trouble at the bottom of the third. You gave a walk up to Trot Nixon, and then Barn Dabach uh, hit a single. And then okay. uh, Dabach got, got two hits in the game. Right. Okay. But then you got uh, Carl Everett to ground out to second base. But on the pitch before that, he looked at it and he was uh, arguing with the umpire for, for a cold strike. And uh, 
<laughs> so, uh, you know, but you got him the ground out. So you worked out of that. That was great. See, I think he was arguing about whether dinosaurs actually existed. <laughs> <laughs> and I do remember my split finger being very good that day. I remember the lineup, I think, being left-handed heavy. And so that that favored my split. But, mm-hmm. you know, I had real good success locating fastball that day, getting ahead of counts, you know, with my curveball and, uh, yeah, putting them away with either fastball or split. I mean, granted, it's the first time I think the, the Red Sox may have seen me as well. So, so that kind of goes in my favor as well. Three singles, three walks, one error. That's it. No extra base hits. They, uh, they left. Those are the seven guys they left on base. They were 0 for 4 with runners in scoring position. I mean, you were in total control in that game. I mean, it's, it's easily in my top 10 games of my career, and I think you can make a very good argument in top five, maybe even top three. Bob, as you're sitting at the game, and, well, I don't know where exactly you were sitting at that game, but are, are the fans saying, oh, we'll – we're going to win this We're going to, or were they getting nervous or what was the, what was the feeling in the crowd? I don't know. I mean, I was in the press box, obviously. We were That's what, okay. So I figured <laughs> I wasn't sure if yeah, that, that was, was just game. the game that you went to. Okay. Uh, I, and so uh, that's a huge from the fan reaction. I don't know. I just know that everyone assumed that when Pedro took the mound, he was going to win in those days. And, and I remember thinking when Pedro came to Boston and after his first year, uh, when he was, I think, only quote unquote eighteen and six <laughs> before in his 78, 98 before he got, got really rolling. Um, and had he won the he had won it in in uh, Montreal for Montreal, and then he went to Boston, right? Yeah, and he got traded, but you know, just you know, it just sounds ludicrous. But he was traded, and you know, and uh, they picked, that was Dan Duquette making a marvelous deal. But I'm, I remember thinking when uh, that first year, I got to go to every game he pitches because. Something spectacular could happen any given night. And that's the kind of feeling I, I once had with Roger Clemens in his heyday. But with Vajo, those two years, it was true. I mean, every single night, you didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, he, 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 just go back and look at the numbers and look at the ERA and as opposed to the league ERA and the team and the, and the and league batting and, and runs. I mean, this was an offensive era of the Pedro and two guys dominated. One guy was five feet 11 weighed about 175 and the other guy was six feet 10. I think, you know what I mean? He also yeah. threw from the left side and they were, they were the two dominant, absolutely capital D dominant pitchers in, in, in baseball. And, and yet they couldn't be more different physiology. And yet what does that speak to the beauty of the game? You know, to me that think about that, that one guy was six ten and he dominated the other guy's five eleven. That and he dominated. That's the word I come up with over those three years was just pure dominance. And yeah, yeah. And he made it look. So I ask you, given the way the game has evolved, or devolved, or in my opinion, somewhat devolved with the use of starting pitchers, and you know the way it is now, five innings is a standard starting pitching. Uh, if you go six, you get a parade, a ticker tape parade. The way it's evolved, and the way it's it's, it's pitched. Your, your thoughts. I mean, when you look at the way baseball is being played today from a pitching standpoint, what are yours? To to a certain extent, it's almost unrecognizable. I actually just had a conversation the other day with somebody about this, talking about the complete games. And, I, you know, I was like, I had 20 complete games. It's not a lot. And I remember having a conversation with Jim Palmer when I was in Baltimore. He's 20, 20 complete games. He's like, yeah, that was a good four months for me. You know, and I'm like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Now people are like, oh, that's never going to happen again. And that just boggles my mind that there's probably pictures. And how do you go to arbitration? 
and say, yeah, I was seven and four with a four and a half with 130 innings. I had a great year. You should pay me $15 million a year. And you're like, I, 130 and innings? Like, didn't send it back to AAA at 130 innings. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's about keeping you in the game, quote unquote, keeping them in the game. Uh, you know, pitch cast. I know it's, it's different. The romanticism of, of I think we talked about this in the last podcast because um, I'm in San Diego. I watched Aaron Snell. I think it was year last year, the year before, had a no hitter, winning eight to nothing, and he got pulled at four and two thirds innings. And he didn't even bat an eye. He just handed the ball over. And I'm thinking, oh my god, I'd be having <laughs> the manager's office waiting. We're going to have a fist fight because <laughs> it was just yeah. Don't, you want you, at least you want to get the W, right? At the very least, yes. I guess they don't. They just don't. You know, earlier this month, it's unrecognizable now. Who was your manager at the time this month, of this game? We had, at a Larry Rothschild was my manager in, in Tampa Bay that year. And was there any talk of pulling you at the end of the game? No, never. They had not nobody even warming not even up. A thought. Yeah. yeah, I remember one of my big conversations with him earlier in the season because obviously he was a fantastic pitching coach. Was learning how to pitch to win the game, whether it be, so if you're up five, nothing, you know, cause I was a control guy. So like don't be less of a nibbler and go out and just attack more, use those five runs to your advantage. And if it comes down to it, you give up a couple solo home runs, it's five, two, five, three. Then you go back to the nibbling, try to control the, the, the game. But being pitching like that would get you deeper into the ball game and give you more opportunities to win by doing that. Well, when, when wins have been devalued, as you know, and Absolutely. we had the anniversary this month, July 2nd, of the most famous, spectacular individual pitching duel in the history of baseball, Juan Marichal and Warren Spahn in 1963, in, in which it was one one nothing in the 16th inning on a home run by Willie Mays, and they each went the distance. Marichal threw 227 pitches, and Juan Spahn, who was 43 years of age, threw 201 <laughs> and, and, and when they talked like science fiction. When they talked about pulling Marischal, Marischal said, if that old guy can continue to pitch, I can continue. Exactly right. <laughs> that is the gospel truth. That is that, yeah. that is not myth. That happened. Yep. Anyway, we all know that's never going to be back again. This by the way, Red Sox had three complete games in about a two-week stretch this year, which is you know, heard different of. guys in my one. Yeah. It's yeah. not. It's not too often, no. But it also, in cases like that, particularly with the Red Sox, it's reflection of how tenuous the bullpen is, how dangerous it is. I mean, that's all yeah, part that, of the equation, isn't right. it? Well, their bullpen, yeah, and it comes and goes. You know, they had a stretch a couple of weeks ago when they blew two awful games to Tampa Bay. The bullpen could not hold substantial leads. Then in the Yankee series, the bullpen saved their butt. Enabled them to come from behind twice Saturday night and Sunday. Sunday down six to two, they scored nine runs in a row, and the bullpen shut the Yankees out in the last five innings. And so, and the I most mean, shocking thing is the the Yankees bullpen had been indomitable and and shut them down <clears throat> in in the second game, and then gave up everything. Right. So you know, but but in general terms, the Yankee bullpen is has been spectacular this year. I understand. That. Back to this game for a second. There was a uh, bottom of the fifth. You're pitching to Trot Nixon. It's a long fly ball to deep center field. With your react, did you go, uh oh? Did, did you think that was out of the park? I probably did. <laughs> Just out of habit. <laughs> um, 
We would have Gerald Williams out there, right? So, yep. uh, Gerald Williams. That's a deep. Back then, they didn't hit homers to center field at Fenway like they do now. So, yeah, I, I'm sure off the bat, it probably went, uh oh, but yeah, uh, Gerald Williams out there, I'll take my chances. Well, it's a long no, way to center field. Yeah, you know, guys, what he's alluding to, there was a big controversy when they added the, uh, the seats behind home plate and added an extra deck. And right away, Wade Boggs, first one to identify that this cut down the the flight of the ball to dead center. And you would see, and we we had this discussion for years about balls hit the dead center. But now, of course, with all these guys bulking up, you know, we we see home runs back at dead center again. But in those days, right, it did it did have a, a it did make a difference in the beginning of that of that circumstance. That's interesting. Never knew that. Steve, yeah. you it must be an incredible feeling when you just you're on. You were on in that game. Did, did it feel different than a, than a, than some other game? Only because of you know being zero zero for the entirety of the game. Um, I remember you know I don't know if it was a live interview. I can't remember if it was an ESPN game or whatever. But I guess a reporter had come over to me, and Pedro's comment was how much fun he had, even though he had lost that game. And I was like, fun. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was so mentally exhausted at the, after that game that I could almost, you know, not enjoy the fact that we had won. Yeah, I just was like, this was like one of the tougher games I had had, you know, to go get get through because just the mental exhaustion at the end of it. Yeah. Um, the next day, yeah, I was, was ecstatic. But uh, yeah, at, at 20 minutes after the game, I was like, no, I just I need an ice bath. I just want to go lay down and take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, you know, then, then tonight we'll, we'll go have a nice dinner and celebrate it. Do you remember who your catcher was for that game? I'm pretty sure it was John Flaherty. Oh, it was, it was John Flaherty. There you go. Yeah. And, and, former, and former Yankee, Yankee, Yankee broadcaster. He does a terrific yeah. job. But uh, Red Sox guy. Yeah. Uh, do you do, do you recall on games like that? Would you be shaking him off, or would you just kind of just go with 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 the flow? I don't recall shaking him off that much that game. So we were probably pretty well in tune. And uh, yeah, those are, those are the best games is, uh, you know, when granted that game, you're thinking, okay, every pitch can't make a mistake or you try not to think that because then that's usually what ends up happening. But yeah, when, when you're in tune like that kind of gets into a pretty good little flow. Mm-hmm. You had uh, the, the devil Rays had one error in that game by Fred McGriff yep. and you did a nice job getting, uh, getting around that. But here's a guy who I think should be in the hall of fame. I agree. His, uh, his bat and his glove. But it was a nice job working around that error by McGriff. Yeah, that was, I remember, yeah, on my way to cover first and watching it go through his legs. And it's just like, you know. <laughs> it's the last thing you need, right? I need right there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, luckily, so you know, excuse, been through that so many times that it pays you. Sorry? Excuse my ignorance on something like this, but I've never really had the opportunity to ask some. Does, does McGriff say anything to you in the dugout after something like that? Or is it just, you know, uh, you're, you're appreciative for the plays he makes and this is what you live with. Well, I mean, granted that we got through it, if you would have said something, it'd been something more like, Hey, thanks for picking me up right there. You know, I see type of a thing. Yeah. That's, that's something I think a lot of young pitchers, hopefully you work through it before you get to the big leagues where errors don't affect you mentally and you don't, you know, you try not to show up your teammates Sometimes it's hard in the heat of the moment, but yeah, obviously Fred was our power guy other than Greg Vaughn. And uh, well, I think with Vinny Castilla as well, we were supposed to have the the hit show that year uh, with Conseco and all those guys. And 
was more of the shit show, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you just try not to show up your teammates in that situation and, and do your best to get, you know, I mean, you've, you, you pitch a long time that it happens so often. You just, you try to get the guy, like I say, the, get, get him another grounder. That's truly what, what it is. There's nothing more than that guy is going to want is another ground ball to turn a double play and get out of it himself. Do you root for a team now? I'm definitely root for a lot for the Mets. Mostly a lot of it's just, I've done more for the Mets since I've retired. Um, I still watch the Cubs. I grew up a Dodger angels fan. So I'll, so I'll pick and choose some of those games. I'll watch a little bit of the Padres, uh, just being in San Diego, Tyler Nevin and Phil, Phil Nevin and I, we grew up together and we're actually neighbors. So now that Tyler's with Baltimore, I'll probably watch them oh. a little bit more. Certain, certain games, certain teams, you know, that are, are hard to watch, you know, with the computers. And unfortunately the Padres and Dodgers are both highly analytical and uh, sometimes it's difficult to watch and, you know, I'll flip channels <laughs> when that happens. Yeah, well, you know, you have the pleasure in uh, San Diego, at least, of having Don Orsillo do the games, and he's just great. I uh, routinely text Mark Grant during the game, and uh, <laughs> like in capital letters, like, how can they pull this guy in this situation? He's got 82 pitches or something, and, <laughs> and he just goes, agreed, I'm not allowed to say anything. <laughs> wow. You know, and then other fun story, Joe Musgrove, you know, just found out yesterday's going to the All-Star game. So when he had his arm surgery, my son was in high school playing with the travel ball teams, and Joe was one of the, the coaches helping out. So uh, it's kind of so – so I'd obviously like to watch Joe uh, have a lot of success as well. What are you doing now, if I may ask? Raising more kids. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a three-year-old and a one-year-old, so, yeah. It's oh, starting. my God. No. Uh, Two in college, one at uh, Pace University in New York, and then, yeah, starting all over. You didn't really like your free time, did you? <laughs> I was hoping to travel more in this. <laughs> just kind of put a squash on all that, and next thing you know, I've got more kids. <laughs> uh, tell me about your dirt bags, Kat. Uh, I'm a Long Beach State dirt bag and a uh, big supporter of their program. Just recently had the Steve Traxel bullpen announced uh no kidding. Yeah, I got the Steve Traxel bullpen now. So we've got Jared Weaver on one side, Steve Traxel on the other. We got the Tulowitzki <laughs> batting cages. Ah. Um, yeah. So nice. a long history of major leaguers trying to get Jason Giambi. Come on, Jay, if you see this, throw some money back to the program. <laughs> yeah, come on the show, too. Oh, there you go. Come on the show. Yeah. I'm so. expecting someday to have a restroom named after me. <laughs> Actually, to be honest with you. I'm not, I don't. I I I don't even think that. I'm thinking more of a stall or a single urinal. <laughs> the handle on the urinal. Exactly. I mean, that's that. That's about it. It's Bob, an honor. Not the full team. <laughs> Bob, I want to ask you. I mean, obviously, you've seen so much baseball. One thing that really gets me. I remember when I was watching. You see a relief pitcher come in, and he might pitch two, three innings. You know, now I see they pitch. You know. 10 pitches and the inning's over and that's it. They're out of the game. Why are they pulling times, these guys when they're pitching? Well, how many times do you see a guy throw a minimal amount of pitches anywhere from seven to say a dozen and get a team out easily in like the seventh inning. And then he's gone. They did his job. You say to yourself as a fan and as a writer and lover of baseball, uh, wouldn't it be a nice idea to bring this guy back for the eighth inning? He only threw a, you know, X pitches. 
and that, that the game has changed. No, it's frustrating. You go through this all the time. Of course, you know, the, the, the use of pitchers, it's just, I was going to, you know, bring, you know, I already alluded to it to Steve with, with, the, with the starting pitcher thing. Mm-hmm. No, it's just that the, who's different? Who's aberrant? I mean, uh, I, I, we were talking about, I know, you're, I'm incessantly talking about this with people. The other night I was at the ball game and I was reminding people of a game in which uh, Bob Stanley, I mean, excuse me, Dick Raddatz, the monster in 1960, came into Yankee Stadium in the sixth inning and pitched nine innings and got the win in the 15th inning, you know? And I mean, that's science fiction too. But mm. I mean, you just have to be that extreme. Can't these guys go 30 pitches instead of 12? Is that that taxi? I mean, they talk about overworking these guys, overworking this bullpen, and these guys are throwing one inning. I, uh, it frustrates me, but this is the analytics. This is, yep. the, and then the other thing, the other thing is, you know, not letting guys face teams the third time around. Well, there's, the not all games are created equal. Sometimes the circumstances are, are, are different. It's not automatic that, the, that this guy can't fit uh, that, that the guys another time around it, depending on what the stuff is, who the pitch for. Uh, it, it's, but they're all given over to the analytics. And then you wonder who's calling the shots ultimately. We know the managers aren't the dictatorial managers that they once were, but to what extent are right. GMs and calling shots as opposed to managers? And we, we throw this around all the time. We don't know for sure, but we know what happens. Yeah. I've heard yeah. stories of, of, of managers showing up in their office and there's three lineups <laughs> already presented out there. And if they're lucky, they get to pick one of the three, and that's the lineup for the game. It's already been chosen. I mean, that's, wow. You know, if we could if we could go back to starting pitching again, I, it's it's going to get to the point where it's going to be in name only starting. And they will go three innings, four innings, because that will become the new norm. And it will be extremely com- compartmentalized the game. I mean, it is now with the seventh inning guy and the eighth inning guy and the ninth. I think it's going to go even further. Well, well I can see the ramifications of it, which, you know, it's not the most important thing in the world, but, you know, uh, it is all-star, all-stars and Hall of Fame. You know, we know, I think I heard the other day there are only five pitchers in baseball at the current time on, who are projected to throw 200 innings. Forget about 300 innings. Five guys right now in Major League Baseball out of all those teams are projected to throw 200 innings. That's what I heard. That's what I read. Okay. And I mean, 200 is like, is that such a big deal? It's a big deal now. That wasn't a big deal. And I remember, you know, I mean, I remember when Mickey Lowitz threw 376 innings, by the way, you know, in my time, let alone what Cy Young did, but I'm not worried about that. But, <laughs> but I mean, it, it, it's, it, it is completely different. So and, in terms of wins, 200 is the old two. 75, if not 300. Every. See, my concern. Okay. So they have to have new criteria for the Hall of Fame down the road in the next 10 to 15 years. Evaluating the current crop of pitchers, it's going to have very little to do with wins. Very little. You know, we got there when, 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 when the King Felix won that first side at 13 and 12. How many years ago was that? 10? 11? Was that 2011? Yeah, that Whenever we did it. One. And okay, I understand the way the game has changed, and that's the reason. But we have a whole new evaluation of, of, of pitchers total in, in terms of historical importance. And, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I, that I'm, matters to me. It's not the most important thing in the world, but I'm a Hall of Fame voter. I won't be one for those guys, these guys, but, but uh, I'm still a Hall of Fame voter. And, and uh, it, you know, you, you need something to sink your teeth into. 
See, I'm I'm looking at it from a different perspective, and that's of the health of the game. And my feeling is that fans would go out if they knew that there was going to be a great matchup. I mean, if there was going to be Gibson against Marischal, if there was going to be a, a good pitcher uh, going against a good pitcher, if it was going to be Pedro against Traxel, people would come to the ballpark. There was a lot of tickets available that day. <laughs> Tampa Bay against Boston? Come on. That, was, that wasn't. <laughs> but, but seriously, I mean, that has an effect on the game. And matchups, and that's why starting pitching, I'll tell you, I mean, your old Rays are the ones who set up. They started. They started. The the starter role for relievers, and that has taken us on a path. And, you know, we all rejected it at that time and said, oh, no, this isn't good. And then the next thing you know, 29 teams copy them. And I think it's very unhealthy for the sport. I have no problems, by the way, with uh, the fact that they're limiting the the pitching staff to 13. By the way, you know, that happened earlier, uh, I think it was this month, when they, they made the switch from 14 to 13. Nobody's made one mention of it. I haven't heard it anywhere that that's been an issue. And uh, I think, uh, and this I'm not, I'm not in agreement of, but I think there will be a time when we start seeing a limit on the number of pitchers that a team can use in a game. Well, they're using position players now. Yes. Definitely I mean, a bit of proliferation of that, more, much more than we've ever seen at all. And, uh, it's Otani's fault. If they were that good, yes. <laughs> I would take it. I mean, that was, that was a slap in the face to have a – to go yeah. out losing 15 runs and have a shortstop have to come in and flip stuff up there. Guys in the bullpen and starting pit, even starting pitchers be like, oh no, I'll I won't throw my bullpen tomorrow. I'll just go out there and mop it up. I mean, that was a slap in the face to pitchers back in the day. Really? So now I know I'm old back in the day. <laughs> so but I'll tell you, if I were, you know, that 25th guy on the team, not a pitcher, 25th guy, one of the things I would try to do is learn to throw the knuckleball. Because mm-hmm. if you're a utility infielder and you can say, you know what, you know, you can get by with with 13 pitches because I can come in and I can throw the knuckler. Wade Boggs supposedly had a knuckler that he would throw on the sidelines. He never got a chance to use it in the game, but supposedly he did. But, you know, that's a difficult pitch to control. It's hard enough for knuckleball pitchers to. Well, you know, Mickey Mantle apparently come. had one as well. And he used to, when they were warming up uh, on the sidelines before the game, when he was having yeah. a catch, he'd throw his knuckler, and he had to stop when he broke a teammate's nose. <laughs> well, that's nice. Well, we can. Well, Ryan Sandberg had a nasty backup slider. <laughs> Did he? But then it became what I think Dice K called it the gyro ball, which is just a backup slider. It's a gyro. Oh, yeah. So Ryan Dice Sandberg, first gyro ball. I said that. Dice K, when he came in, they should just make the count three and two and get right to it. Exactly. <laughs> Steve, I got to tell you, when you get this book uh, and get to this game, Bob Ryan writes on his scorecard, Traxel outduels Pedro, 17 Ks. Yep. I mean, that, you know, that, that, what, what a great honor that is. And I want to ask you, uh, during that game. I think the ball is right here. Oh, you got a ball from it. There you oh. go. 
for anyone just listening, Steve Traxel has gone to is. his All right. case. Look at that. And you is have that? baseball uh, from, for, for from the shutout. From yeah. the, the game that we are talking about, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's tremendous. <laughs> yeah, that's great. First American League complete game. Wow, nice. That's awesome. There it is. Awesome. At that. All right, Steve. Steve, seven nothing or one nothing. I think against uh, the Yankees. Yeah. Five days later. Wow. All right, Steve. Yeah. On, on this game against the Red Sox, was there anybody in the Red Sox lineup that you uh, said, okay, this is the guy got to work around carefully? Uh, Trot Nixon, I remember for sure. I think Carl Everett had had a lot of success against me already in uh, prior years. I want to say John Valentin. I remember that name oh. for for a reason. Oh yeah, um, sure. Everett was having a very good year to start think, off with. Yeah, Boston. and I feel like he He's had a good success good. against me already. Mm-hmm. That's before he became a pariah in Boston. But at that point, he could have been elected mayor in the beginning of the season. And I also love the I also love the symmetry on, on this on this game because looking at the umpires, one of the umpires at first base yeah. was Dale Scott, who we just recently had on. Talk about oh. his book. So isn't that amazing? I just love yes. that. Yes. I love Great. how Jeff just segues <laughs> and vibes. That's beautiful. Was there any batter who just ate you alive, Steve? Oh man. And I think statistically, Mickey Morandini is one of the guys that he had over 400 <laughs> off of me which is odd because he was left-handed. I had more trouble with righties. So, like, I, I go straight to, like, Moises Alou, uh, Edgardo Alfonso, Piazza when he's with the Dodgers, uh, mostly right-handers. So Okay, now, now, question that I asked I thought was mean. Let me ask it this way. Were there any of the big deal hitters who you really owned? Oh, man. I don't know. I don't know that I really owned anybody. Hey, you were a better pitcher than <laughs> Did that. you rent? No, you're just because <laughs> I, I, you know, it's not like I went by and just like boom, fastball, fastball, fastball. I own you. Get out of here. I'd be more yeah. like fastball and split, roll it over to second base. I'll take that all. Off. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, 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 I've never had any fear of facing like Barry Bonds or Chipper Jones. You know those type of guys because just basically because they were left-handed. I had more fear of like a Andrew Jones or a Matt Williams type of guy. Andrew. I think to, to be in the Hall of Fame. I would just like to get all your opinion. We, it, he was mentioned before, Shoei Otani. Oh, and I'm hmm. just, we know what kind of player he is and the fact that he's, you know, the two-way player. Do you think that the future of baseball will see more two-way players like Shoei Otani? I doubt it. No. You think he's they, a once-in-a-lifetime? in high school. Okay. You know, I mean, they did it with with my son. You know, my my son. I, I graduated high school five ten one fifty five. My son was a junior. He was six three one seventy five. He was like ten pounds from what I was when I got to the big leagues. You know, and he threw hard. wasn't a great hitter, but he could play outfield. But they're like, nope, pitcher only. It's like, and I think that probably started his freshman year. And I see that all over the place. Everyone's either a pitcher only or a position only. I don't see anybody doing both. It's very rare. And yeah. besides the fact they do one sport only, too. Bob, I wanted to mention that, that Steve Steve had a couple of home runs. And the reason I mention that is because I'm reading a book now on Steve Carlton and Tim McCarver. And Steve Carlton, again, complete games up to Gazoo. And, you know, and he was a, a, quite a hitter, even in the playoffs, helping himself scoring runs, hit, hitting balls and getting RBIs. That's a lost art and we're never going to see again. No, we're not. And, and you know, that's that's a shame. 
which you're going to open the door here, and Bill's heard this with me, my <laughs> maybe all-time trivia factoid. Warren Spahn hit at least one home run. The way it is, Steve, Warren Spahn hit at least one home run for 17 consecutive years, the last one at age 43. Wow. He had, he had a career total of about 38. He's second, uh, third to uh, the See, my joke is I, I hit for the cycle. It took me nine years to do it. <laughs> but imagine that. He had at least one home run every single year for 17 straight years. And, and the last one was at age 43. That's, wow. that's one of the coolest. That's unbelievable. That's an amazing set. Can, you, never can you imagine Bob Ryan and Bill Chuck in a room? I mean, that would be a room oh, to be in. Absolutely. Oh. Well, you know, I, I, I don't know when this is airing uh, the, for the first time, but I'm sure it will be before uh, August 3rd, where uh, we will be making an appearance at the Baseball Hall of Fame, oh. speaking about our book and signing books and uh, talking about Steve Traxel. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and we're thrilled to be in Cooperstown. And it's Where my contention, be. and th- I'm going to stick to it until somebody tells me otherwise. But I think that uh, Bob Ryan's going to be the first author to speak at the uh, Basketball Hall of Fame and the Baseball Hall of Fame. Wow. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. On our show. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, and yeah. on your show, yeah. right? <laughs> I, I, I've got to tell you guys, uh, I I leave it to Jeff to do all the rapping, but it's an honor to have you on, Steve. You know, I I think your career is amazing, and Bob and Bill, your book can't be any better. It's in scoring position. Forty years of a baseball love affair. I will tell you that today I heard from someone just out of the blue, and they said. Loved now. I'm sorry, Bob, you weren't on the interview. Loved the interview with Bill Chuck. He was great. Can't wait to start reading the book. I just got it. That, so let me, let me close my thoughts by saying there would be no book without Bill Chuck. It was his idea to uh, have my score books used as a basis for a book. There are nine score books from the beginning of 1977 until last Sunday that I, uh, I, I use. And it was his idea. And, and, uh, and not to mention the fact that his writing enhances the book immensely. So, uh, you know, we, there'd be no book without Bill Trump. Absolutely. We- well, there'd be no book if Bob didn't go to these damn games. <laughs> I've got to tell you that. <laughs> no, no, seriously, I mean, the, as I said to you before, there are people who can take, take a picture of the same thing. A, hack photographer and a good photographer. The good photographer will see something that the hack photographer has never seen. Bob Ryan is that kind of writer. He can go to a ball game and he can see something that other people don't see. Not only that, he can, he appreciates it and he can memorialize it in writing that is so outstanding. It's incredible. But the fact is that when we were doing this, and and Steve, I just want you to hear this, is that when when we would go over a game like this, Bob's was his recollection of the moments of the minutia were as sharp as great uh, a great Vermont cheddar. I mean, it was <laughs> terrific, and it was just a a joy 
It was just a joy to hear all these things. And I don't know whether your 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 listeners to this game know how this particular group podcast came about. Why don't you tell them what happened the first time I was on? Go ahead, Jeff. What happened? <laughs> the first time I was on in the midst of the podcast, we get an email. You guys That's right. Email yes. Steve Traxel. Exactly. Yes. Steve. So, yeah. Thank you for reminding me. Talking about this game. I remember I, I, I emailed you and you emailed me right back and say, oh, I'd love to talk about this game. I go, that was amazing. <laughs> it happened. It was an hour too late, though. <laughs> Steve, it's really a, a pleasure to talk with you. You're, uh, you know, it's just uh, it's just a real treat. And as I as I e- indicated to you in a quick email, I saw you pitch with the Cubs. I saw you pitch many times with the the Mets. I I'm pretty sure I watched that game at home that Bob saw this game. Although I'll be honest, when I watch the game at home, I'm not keeping a scorecard. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one thing I wish I would have gotten was like a scorecard or a lineup card and. They just, I, don't know, I guess we didn't, we didn't keep the things like, like that back then as players. So uh, now you got the guy in there putting a sticker on every foul tip and yeah, all right. Well, and, when you get this, when you get this book, you'll see the scorecard that Bob kept. And then hopefully sometime we can meet and uh, you could sign Bob's scorecard. Oh, that would be awesome. I'd be honored to. Absolutely. That'd be great. Absolutely. And anybody, you can watch, actually see this game. It's on YouTube. That's where I caught it. So, Steve, yeah. Okay. So, it was a, a great game. I really enjoyed watching it. it was, you know, like you said, it was a quick game, two hours and 36 minutes. And it actually fast forward to the commercial. It's even shorter than that. And, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Steve, thank you so much for joining us. Yep. Bob, Bill, yep. this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. It was such a thrill. Thank you so much, guys. My pleasure. I, as always, I have a great time with you guys. By the way, in case you guys, uh, Bob and Steve, you don't know, I'm auditioning to be one of their replacements. <laughs> <laughs> How'd he do? How'd he do, he guys? Great. He did, he did pretty great. damn good. Yeah, I'm a little worried. Uh, I'm not worried, actually. So real quick, my final Fenway story. I got my official DFA release with the oh. Orioles in Fenway. So, uh, yeah, cleaned out my locker, sat behind home plate for about 30 minutes, collected my fall thoughts, went back to the Marriott, went downstairs to the bar and got shit face drunk with Eddie Murray. <laughs> wow. <laughs> just happened to be there. All right. <laughs> that was my final story in Boston story. <laughs> and just to, just to let the Bob and, and Bill know that uh, Steve, you're a, a wine connoisseur now. I think you're being invested in a, in a, in a vineyards. Uh, I'm a, I'm a small time wine cork dork. I love uh, yeah connoisseur. Got my uh, little first level sommeliers pin for my lapel that I never wear. And yep, uh, <laughs> I am a wine geek. Congratulations. <laughs> Well, thank I'm you, a kids. I guess that's what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, gentlemen. This has been fun. Thank oh, you, guys. So great. Thank you. Hi, this is Gary Mack of the Mets Musings Podcast. And if you want a lip-smacking, finger-licking good podcast, then you got to listen to Baseball and BBQ with Lennon Jeff. They have the best guests and the best recipes on all the internet. Check it out. Baseball and BBQ.
Jeff. Yes. Am I allowed to give a wow? Give oh, a wow. I, you know what? Wow. <laughs> that is just one game. It was amazing. Amazing. Bob Ryan, Bill Chuck, and Steve Traxel. Jeff, you know what? We, we've said numerous times, we've been doing this for five years. It'll be five years in December. And we always say how much we love doing it, how exciting it is to, to speak to all of our guests, to have our listeners that, that, that enjoy the show get in touch with us and tell us how much they enjoy it. If you can't get excited about the conversation we just had, we might as well just hang it up and go on because... That was just fantastic to to hear them take that game apart and and to get all the insight that we got. That was really great. It was absolutely great. Hey, by the way, I have a question for you on modern baseball. Modern baseball. Yeah, yes. that's you know, the big news of this week. You know, we just had the All-Star game. Yeah, this is coming out a couple days after the All-Star game. But right. You heard the news that Juan Soto turned down four hundred forty million dollars. Yes. Your thoughts? Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, my thoughts, Jeff. He's crazy. He's crazy. I don't know who's crazier. Are the Nationals crazier to offer him that kind of money? Or is he crazier to turn it down? It, it's a 15-year extension. He's 23 now, but I believe... I. I'm not positive, but I think he still has two more years. I don't know if that extension takes away the two years he has now, but even if it did, let, let's say, let's say it does at age 23, 15 years to age 38, right. 15 years. Yep. 15 uh, years at 440 million, 440 million, that's less than $30 million a year. Yes, I know know it's stupid money. I get that. (laughs) I get it's stupid money, but it's still less than Trout. It's still less than Betts. It's still less than Scherzer. It's still less than, uh, I don't know, some other big, big names out there. Um, Freddie Freeman, I think, makes more than that. I mean, you know what? So he's saying, look, I'm better than these guys. I should get paid the most. I get where he's he's coming from. I, I do. Believe it or not, I do. But, you know, he's won. Ankle injury. What if he ruptures his Achilles? I, I'm not, I'm no doctor, but you know, is it is it the same after after it heals? I, I have no idea. But you're going to take that chance, right? I mean, we've got a we've got a player on the Mets, Degrom, who you know, um, who knows when this comes out, whether he'll be you know ready to pitch or not. But can you imagine if he didn't sign that that extension, which apparently he's not happy with? I don't know for sure, but. If he hadn't signed that deal, what what would he be? You know, what would he have? Yeah. And, you know, you have players like Wanda Franco, who's, I think, 20 or 21, signed a, you know, 10 years extension. Uh, You had Fred uh, uh, Tatis Jr. Mm -hmm. uh, out in San Diego. Right. He's making $340 over a certain amount of years. They took the money at an early age, I guess, for security. Look, they're never going to spend all this money. It's generational. It's going to go past generation to generation. They're going to be whatever. The team's gambling on them that, you know, that they will. And Tatis has been injured. I mean, I don't think he's played this year yet. Yeah. So. But to turn down that kind of money. I don't know. Yeah, that's a big gamble. And then his agent 
complains that uh, when he went to the All-Star game to compete in the home run derby, they didn't <laughs> charter him a plane. Right. He, he had to go right. first class. He had to fly. <laughs> what did he fly, coach? Uh, he went he fly first class on, on a commercial airline. Uh, oh. oh, poor baby. That's that is. No, that's Jeff. Stop it. That's Charter not him a plane. What's going on with you? I know. Come on. Yeah, talk about first world <laughs> problems. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but then then you have Aaron Judge who, you know, got an offer of an extension, turned it down and he every now it's funny. And I, I was also I thought he should have taken it. But everybody says he bet on himself and he and he's winning. But and he's going to be making more than 30 million dollars a year. Yes, but he's and, still and, and Soto's better. I, I hate to say it, but Soto's better. Aaron Judge is 30. Yep. But but Aaron Judge is still playing a half season. And Aaron Judge has has not had a healthy season right. in, in recent memory. So he still has a half to go to stay healthy, to increase those numbers so that he can get that deal. There's still obviously always the possibility yeah. that he could get injured. And, sure. and 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 you know what, Jeff? I can't rant. We know that anyone who listens to whatever episode it was, I'm not a good ranter. But can I just can I just do a it's not going to be a rant. OK, it's just an observation. Can I can I make an observation? Sure. Make an observation. I was listening to the MLB station on Sirius the other day, and they were talking about the home run derby, how it would be great for the game of baseball. If Pujols won the Derby, I don't get how that would have been great for the game of baseball. I think what would have been great for the game of baseball is if they had started the season on time, if they had negotiated during the winter time and didn't have a lockout, that would have been great for the game of baseball. Pujols winning the home run Derby. I don't really see it, but it's just an observation, not a rant. Okay. We're gonna say no. It's it was just have been a you know a story, you know, forty two year guy winning the the home and direct mm-hmm. That's what it would have been. But you're right; it's better for the game of baseball to have started on time. You know, people complaining the Yankees are starting off on on Thursday with a doubleheader at Houston. Well, you know what? They have to make up the game somehow. Right. Exactly. Anyway, who are we going? Who's next? Ah, uh, this is this is fun. They are fun. They are the Grill Dads. They've been everywhere and deservedly so. They're, they've even appeared numerous times on the Howard Stern wrap-up show. They, they'll be talking to us about their book, the best grilling cookbook ever written by two idiots. We always say that we are the last two schmucks that didn't have a podcast. I guess we kind of have something in common with them, but that's probably where the similarity ends. But here they are. Brian Fay and Mark Anderson, the Grill Dads. We are so fortunate that we get to speak to some incredibly creative people. And I just found out people from Ohio. So as you listeners of this show know, that spells trouble for Jeff and a lot of fun for me. (laughs) You guys are in for a thrill. We've got two guests that have taken their creativity and their love of cooking. They've combined that. They've made a brand, the Grill Dads. They've taken that. They've made cookbooks. They've been on TV. 
listen, you don't need me to do an intro. You're going to want to hear it from them. So without further ado, let me introduce to you Ryan Fay and Mark Anderson, better known as the Grill Dads. Guys, welcome to Baseball and Barbecue. Wow, man, that was that intro. I mean, I got to tell you. <laughs> I, was, I feel like I'm actually taking the field right now. It's like as far as talking about us, it's, that was such a good intro. It's really going to be downhill from here. Complete <laughs> failure after this, man. That was awesome. Thank you. Super well, cool, well welcome to the show, and we you're, we we have you here because you have a brand new book out called "The Best Grilling Cookbook Ever Written by Two Idiots." <laughs> that is true. That is the accurate title. Uh, can and, you think of a more bulletproof title? No, well, look, when we started this podcast, what did we say, Len? We're the only two schmucks who don't have a podcast. The only so. two schmucks. Yes, yeah. that's yeah. it. People say, why did you start a podcast? And we like, we're the only two schmucks that don't have a podcast. Right. Exactly. So we are two schmucks <laughs> talking baseball and barbecue. Right. There you go. We had a podcast for like six months, and then we decided that that, that wasn't our bag. <laughs> we weren't. <laughs> a lot of work. If people don't realize how much work these things are. Oh, it so. is. It definitely is. But I want to start off by thanking you. I mean, I'm looking at the dad's dedication and you dedicate this to me. I can't believe it. You know, to the person reading it. This is so nice. I mean, that was to you. Thank you so much. We would would eventually meet you and it would be your moment. So we're happy to give that to you right now. (laughs) You have a forward by Eva Longoria Baston. And I mean, that's enough. Just just I, I would write a cookbook. If I knew that I could speak to her and get her to write the intro, I'd write an encyclopedia. Yeah. She's, she's been a big supporter of ours. So we did uh, yeah. an advertising gig with her. We actually, Faye and I hired her to direct a spot that we created. We ended up talking about food the whole time on set and we sent her our rubs and she loved it. And then, you know, she started cooking with our stuff on social media and tagging us all the time. And we're kind of like, this is weird. We didn't expect this. And she leapt at the opportunity to be a part of the book and even asked if she could contribute a recipe. And so we don't know what we did to deserve her good graces, but she's a huge supporter and honestly, just like one of the nicest humans people. Yeah. She, I mean, it's, it's amazing when you you meet someone that Uber and well-known and Uber, you know, famous globally. And she's just Corpus Christi down to earth, like great cook, amazing mom, director, writer, philanthropist. I mean, on and on and on and on. And honestly, she's just kind of like Eva to us. Like it's, we've had such fun times talking to her. And I think, I don't know, we all started to become homies and it's been a really fun, it's been a really fun thing to have her in our lives. And she's very, very sweet to us. And we're very thankful to, you know, to know her and support her too. So pretty awesome. And you so also t- have the, uh, a note from your kids in the book too, which is, which is great. Mm-hmm. Seem very cute and very funny at times as, as well, you guys are. We didn't really have a choice to be honest, Jeff, <laughs> if you knew our kids, they, they thought the cookbook was actually going to be written by them. So, uh, and you know, they want to be in everything that we're doing. So we're like, all right, you guys can have a page and write something. So they did their own, that's their own words. They wrote their own stuff. So oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. Take us and, I, I, I'm sure this is this is one of those things where you could probably just make a recording and play it because I know you've been on other podcasts, but never baseball and barbecue. No. So the journey the, the how grill dads came to be from your humble beginnings. Here's the the quickest version we can give. So Faye and I are advertising guys by trade. 
We did other things before that, but advertising was the main gig. We created the grilled ads for ourselves for a creative outlet. We love to cook. Um, we were, you know, grilling and having, you know, like, Hey, we're going to have a little casual barbecue this weekend and 60 people would come over. So we knew that we wanted to take this passion, you know, a little bit further than just grilling on the weekend. So we created this brand, the grilled ads. And initially we were going to just do a, a website blog style website and have, have fun creating recipe and hope to create some ad revenue from the site. But then we created the show idea, which the initial idea was called the search for California barbecue. And then um, got it to Mark Summers. No offense, but you guys are old enough to remember Mark Summers. Sometimes, oh yeah, of course. To people who are a little bit unaware, but you know, he had a 17-year career on the Food Network after yes, Double Dare. So mm-hmm. we sent our Kickstarter thing to him, and uh, he called. You know, I, I emailed him. I said, "Hey, uh, I'm Mark. I'm the better-looking half of the Girl Dads. You guys should totally, or you should totally check out our our show. I think you might like it." And I walked into a meeting and 10 minutes later, uh, my phone was ringing and it was a Burbank area code. And I walked, I'm like, there's no way, but it might be. So I walked out into the hall. I I just left the meeting and he's like, Hey, this is Mark Summers. Who the hell are you guys? And I I was like, excuse me. He's like, are you chefs or what the hell are you? Uh, He he's like, this is the best thing I've seen in 10 years. He shared it with Guy Fieri. They agreed to co-executive produce a, pilot basically for us but then guy got his reality show greenlit called guys big project and wanted us to do it we said no because we, we could talk for hours about why we didn't want to be on a reality show but i think most people get it and you guys get it and then he guy yeah. called us a month later and said hey you know you guys uh you guys are doing my show you idiots are going to be on the show and here's why and his assistant conferenced us all together and he talked for an hour and i was texting fake because we were we weren't together and we, we just both decided, like, if he cares this much about working with us, then we should do it. And we won the show. Got a couple seasons of the show uh, on the air, primetime, you know, 17 countries, I think it's up to now, uh, became regulars on the Today Show. And then the funny thing is that was really getting the show wasn't the finish line. It was the starting line. You know, I've told the story a hundred times, but, you know, the night we're like, oh, we're going to we're going to take over the world and social media. So the night that we were crowned the champions on Guy's own show, Primetime Food Network, and then after that, we'd already recorded our show because everything, the reality show is pre-taped. And then our show premiered, and that night we got 11 new Instagram followers. <laughs> so we're like, oh, A whole shit. whole 11. Oh, wow. 11. Yeah. And I, th- I legitimately think we lost three on Facebook. So, <laughs> um, so we realized very quickly that that was basically just a marketing tool for us. And then we've just been scrapping hard for the last three years, building this brand. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. That's, you know, people think, Oh, overnight sensation. <laughs> no, you know, it, it's, it's success. Sure, sure. looks a lot like, you know, hard work. I, it's just the amount of work we put in. I mean, but you know, Mark and I have been in branding and marketing for our entire careers. Right. So from script school of journalism all the way through, and I owned, I owned a shop in LA called Omelet that Mark actually worked at as well. I came from Shiat Day, which was a, a, a giant ad agency, I actually ran PR for them. And like, you take all those skills you do for every other blue chip brand and you apply 10% of that to your own brand and you can actually start to get somewhere. So we're very disciplined though. You know, we've missed, we've said no to a lot of opportunities. We've said yes to some wrong things, yes to some right things. You know, we keep learning and learning and learning, but we're not risk adverse and we're also not spring chickens. 
So, you know, we can hold our own, you know, we can, we can, we can go out and, and go in the town and have drinks and wake up and do the job. So unlike a lot of, I think other people, you know, they, they kind of burn, burn too hard, too quick, too fast, et cetera. We've just, we've been doing this shit for a while. So we're having a good time. Great. Uh, I want to get back to the book for a second. I, I mean, I, I, before the recipes, you have a uh, meet the idiots, which uh, is a, a, a great, great page to read. And I, I actually learned something just reading it that grilling and barbecue are different. And so we're going to, we're going to talk about that with the yeah. fact that it's barbecue and baseball. Well, that's a very specific cuisine. Yeah. So we're grill dads. We're not barbecue dads. So mm-hmm. we actually always look at barbecue as something that we love. We celebrate, et cetera, but we're not the guys that typically cook a 14 hour brisket. Mm-hmm. Uh, we aren't the ones that, you know, do these, these big barrel smokers. And, you know, a lot of that's reserved for these pit masters and, they do it the same way every time, blah, blah, blah. Well, mm-hmm. you know, we're making desserts and salads and all sorts of, I mean, we, and that's our kind of our thing. We're trying to show people that everything you can make inside, you make out. Mm-hmm. We're just adding yep. smoke, smoke and fire. We did, uh, before we even got to the show, just to kind of prove to ourselves that we could, we cooked Thanksgiving dinner for 40 people, 100% outside on the grill. Wow. And we used our ovens just to hold the food, keep it warm. Mm-hmm. after we made it yeah we always say <laughs> ovens something are really right for storing cast iron yeah. <laughs> right yes that's true yeah that's a, especially in a small apartment <laughs> exactly yeah yes yeah. you know we are yes we are baseball and barbecue but uh, i mean the barbecue does encompass the whole live fire cooking i mean yeah. when i come home from work and uh it might shock people to know that podcasting is not my full-time job um <laughs> When I come home from work, though, I'm I'm not lighting the smoker and and cooking, you know, a rack of ribs and saying we'll eat dinner in five hours or, you know, or chicken or whatever it is. I put the gas grill on and and that might be sacrilegious to some people, but, you know, the gas grill goes on and, you know, and I'm cooking something quick. I don't have time to, you know, so we are barbecue encompasses everything. Got it. Yeah. So I want to let you guys know that last week I had a oh, I had a, a barbecue in my backyard and He's I throw asked, him under the bus, guys. Here I we asked go. Leonard to uh, bring something. <laughs> I wanted him to cook something from your cookbook. And uh, I did. He did. He did not what I wanted. <laughs> I, I wanted him to make the Tuscan tomahawk. Oh, yeah. But yeah. no, he passed. No. What, what, did, what did he make? He made the pizza bombs. Yeah, those are so good. <laughs> they were they so, are. They were so, so good. Yeah, good. They're, they're so freaking good. I know it's one of our honestly, it's one of the most popular dishes in the cookbook is the oh. pizza bomb. Yeah, yeah we and just, you actually could, we just made them on the Today Show. That was like one of the things. Really? They, they, they were like flipping through. They're like, oh my god, let's make these. And we're like, all right. I mean, it's like that's some yeah, Midwest and, ingenuity right there, man. <laughs> and Faye made them on the Today Show. Yeah, and my family watched it and called me, and they're like, oh man, those pizza bombs look good. I'm like, how about? The steak I made. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What page is the pizza bombs on? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. And Mark's like making this perfectly beautiful medium rare steak, and I'm just rolling up some dough and throwing it into a muffin tin. And we're like, oh my god! I made a lemon caper chimichurri by hand. That's true. By you know, hand, people yeah. are like, get out of here. Where's the? Pizza I rolled bomb? up some pepperoni and some dough. There you <laughs> go. In your defense, the hardest part I found. And Jeff has a new kitchen, so he's got this big marble counter, which is great for pizza dough. Yeah. But at the end, 
the hardest part is just the rolling because you you know you've got this long dough and it's covered with the sauce and the, the, so you gotta you gotta kind of yeah. You I was know how cats you know how cats go like this they they reach out and they kind of stretch right. out first and then pull back in. Mm-hmm. And when you roll a burrito, you fold fold and then yes. reach way out and then pull it back in underneath itself. That's how you gotta do it with the pizza rolls. Uh, the pizza that's dumps. that's yeah. the tip. That's the that's key the and don't overstuff it because it's a pain in the ass to close yeah. it down. But you could do anything with that. The thing is, you could improvise mushrooms, sausage, meatballs. It's it's limitless. If we ever do another cookbook, which we've kind of screwed ourselves in a title. (laughs) No, 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 but the next one. Cookbook ever written. I mean, who's going to buy that? (laughs) No, it's just volume two. There you go. (laughs) But, you know, doing different sauces, too, like pesto or like a white garlic oil. Like a New York City white pizza. Yeah, but but start, Mark, you and I both know this. Start getting into curries. To start getting into some Indian food. Like instead of using naan, you're using that. Or actually, you can use flat. Like there's some really fun like global cuisines that we love to explore, especially on the grill. People have no idea you can make a lot of that stuff on the grill. But man, we incorporate a lot of a lot of Asian flavors actually in a lot of stuff that we do. So I think we can crush it with some, you know, pizza bombs shaped. Oh, receptacles yeah, yeah. in the muffin tins yeah. <laughs> and those bu- those bombs they're like it's like cinnamon buns you know where you you start to peel and you get to this center and because the outside oh, gets that peeler? crisp oh we're oh. biters we we don't oh. peel though no you you went in for the the unrolling <laughs> wow it's <That's> impressive <laughs> but you used to do that to your little debbies too huh your ho-hos oh yes until you get yeah you get to you unroll it yes and it just, you can't, yes, yeah. <laughs> just, yes, I love that. <laughs> I love this book just because, first of all, it's easy to read, easy to look, the pictures are great, easy recipes, just follow along. But you also give instructions like, read this first, which is why we put it up front. That's brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> so, Jeff, it's, you know, our publisher has been, you know, great to work with from a creative standpoint. And, you know, our culinary point of view, because we don't have cooking degrees, we haven't worked at the Culinary Institute of America, we don't have James Beard Awards, has always been what we wanted to do with the Grill Dads is if these two idiots can do it, so can I. It's still, it's elevated, but we want to make elevated cooking accessible. And Faye and I, for our entire adult lives, one of the, like, if we had a Saturday afternoon, this is before all the Grill Dads started, one, and, and it's like there wasn't much going on. It was raining outside. It was a slow. Our favorite thing was to go to the grocery store with absolutely no plan as to what it was we were going to make for dinner. Yeah. You go up to the meat counter. Holy shit. Those Italian sausages look amazing. Let's <laughs> what can we do with that? And then you just kind of come up with something. And it's like, buddy, it's like buddy cooking. Mark and I have known each other for 25, 26 years. And we've literally done this thing called the Grill Dads without the name the Grill Dads for that whole time we've been doing it forever we just so, decided to name it <laughs> when we talked to the publisher about how like we wanted to inspire creativity like what we like to do he said the problem with that is people buy a cookbook for finished totally ready to go recipes and we're like oh well why don't we and then sort of our next level was like, like hey why don't we suggest like like the pizza bombs is a great example like hey sub pesto to the for the marinara sauce and you'll have a totally different experience and they, they even thought that that was too much because people are like, oh, which one do I get? So they, they you know, we were giving people a little more credit, I think. So what we ended up doing is spending a lot of time and energy in the upfronts for the chapters and yeah. explaining techniques mm-hmm. and explaining the right stuff to buy. Because our dream is that someone buys this book, 
makes a bunch of recipes from it, slams it down on the counter and goes to the meat shop with no recipe. But now they're armed with all these different tools that they've learned from the book and they can go be creative. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons you'll see too, Jeff, in there as well, that we have a very clever call out called Just the Tip, which uh-huh. is our little <laughs> little spots in there that in yep. fact, you can just get a little little insight into what we're thinking, how to maybe substitute something or mm-hmm. how to do it a bit differently. <laughs> yeah. I enjoy those co-ops and they're also uh, pretty clever too. A lot of, it's funny. Yeah. It's not just a cookbook. It, I mean, you can read it and you get a laugh out of it. Good. Thank you, man. Yeah. That was the hope. We were hoping, uh, you know, there's always that line you, you go right up to it <laughs> and you don't quite, you just don't quite go over it because it's, <laughs> Into a different territory. But. I, like I walked one. into a place that sells cookbooks here in Boise a couple of days ago with my son. I was like, oh, I'm going to drop off a book and see if they want to buy it. And I walk in and she's like, oh, you know, we really, it's more like we do more like collector books, which are hardcover and all this other stuff. And I'm like, hey, take a look at it and see what you think. And she just thumbed through and opened up to the page and she started dying laughing instantly. I'm like, uh-huh. what are you laughing at? She goes, swanky AF filet roast. She's <laughs> like, not only is that hilarious, it sounds delicious and the picture is amazing. And she put it down. She said, I'm going to buy it. So, I mean, it, it's, you know, besides the the dad humor and the little bit of the toilet humor and all that other stuff in there, you know, why not, you know, have a little levity with your with your uh, recipes? <laughs> exactly. Like this one, Len, this one said, pounded to hell, pork chop, Sammy, pro tip, pair with ice cold beer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, great. <laughs> Easy. Exactly. (laughs) But you guys do give some fantastic tips. I want to ask you guys, because this is something that comes up a lot. Grilling fish. Give us some tips. Faye, you want to go take a leak? I'm going to go do something else when Mark talks about this. (laughs) Is it just slap it on a cedar plank? And uh, I mean, what's what's the best way to grill fish? Well, I mean, again, I, I think it really depends on the fish that is true yes you know i think salmon i like to do skin down right over the fire you know and get a lot of char and crisp on that skin because when all the fat in that skin crisps up it actually aromatically gives like lots of flavors to the salmon you know if you're doing something like a halibut you know or something that maybe a little more delicate, you know, we have grill pans that have holes in them. But the other thing too, like I do like Parmesan coated Dover sole on the grill and I just put a giant cast iron pan on the grill. So that's, um, that's a really good point. We teach people a lot of times how to use other, not just the grates and we're, you know, we're kind of almost anti-grill lines because that means you're leaving flavor actually on the grill, not on the steak and not on the, the protein you're using. We flip often and we move it around. But Mark and I train people to use pans, pots and pans on, on the grill. I still want the flavor. I still want the aromatics. still want the smoke, et cetera. It just gives a different composition of the flavor into the food. And, you know, cast iron's your buddy. Carbon blue steel is your buddy. You know, put it right on there. You can't hurt these things. And you're getting a completely new way of doing it. Cast iron mac and cheese, close the grill, whether you have a pellet smoker or whether you have a green egg, whatever it's going to be, mm-hmm. you're going to get this completely different way. And it's convection. There's still convection. So... You're still getting yeah. this rotation of air around. It just happens to not be inside your house, smoking up your kitchen. Yeah. yeah. Like my, my son's favorite dessert is a cast iron huckleberry cobbler that we do on the grill. Mm, and it's good. like, again, it's like, you know, it's in a cast iron pan, yeah. you know, why not? So, oh, sorry, Jeff, let me just say, I want to talk more about the book 
but I don't want to not get to this one thing. So Jeff, uh, I'm going to get comes. To this. They're going to ask us for uh, weightlifting tips. All right, here we go. <laughs> Got it. Ready. <laughs> I was, I was going to ask uh, when I'm squatting, do I, do I want, no, I heard you guys on the Howard Stern wrap up show <laughs> with Gary, Baba Booey, Adela Bate and John. Fafa Fuhai. Yeah. Fafa <laughs> Fuhi. And I could not, I was, and you were booked on this show and I heard that and I could not, I was like, wait a minute. They're, we're going to have the same guys on <laughs> that are on the wrap up show. Yeah. You got to tell us about being on the wrap up show. How does that happen? Well, first of all, we want to say like everyone there is spectacular and have been hugely, hugely supportive of us. So when, when we like all, you know, we're telling you about like we did the Kickstarter thing and Mark Summers, when that all came out, I actually reached out to Jason Kaplan cold He's a huge barbecue guy. And I said, Hey, Jason, I'm a big fan of the show, made some inside jokes about the Howard Stern show and sent him the link and he tweeted it out. So like six months later, I was able to go back to him and say, Hey, guess what? <laughs> this show's on the food network. He's like, Holy crap. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and so when the show came out, we booked today's show and I just, you know, whim, I reached out to him. I'm like, Hey, you guys have been huge fans. Like who books the wrap up show? And I got an email from uh, somebody in the show, like 10 minutes later and said, Hey, what date do you need? And I was just like, this is, this is incredible. Cause uh, you know, and I, I think we've been on what six, seven, eight times now. Yeah. I mean, well, I'm not sure. It's been a bunch. The thing that I love though, is that they all buy our spices, you know, they all like they're super supportive and you know, they in between the breaks are like, okay, my wife said she wants to put the grill on high even after, you know, and like, <laughs> and they want to get all these tips, which is, it's awesome. They're, they're, they're super. They're, they're, they're the best humans. They're literally the best humans over there. We, we have absolute blast every time we go over and, and, you know, John and Gary in particular, Rasan, like they're just the sweetest, nicest people. They always treat us with insane respect and it's just, it's beautiful, man. We're really happy to be friends with them. Yeah, and they, um, after the first time we went on there, we got an email from the Greenwich Food Festival. And it says, hey, Gary Delabate said we have to have you at the Greenwich Food Festival next year. You know, it's just like, it's just, we're constantly surprised by how awesome they are. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's funny because uh, I've been a listener of the Howard Stern show for years. And there was a time he got into grilling and he had... I think he had Stephen Reichlin come to yeah, his house. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah he did. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, <laughs> that's like, you know, he's into painting now. Does he have, uh, well, Andy Warhol's deceased, but would he have Andy Warhol come over? Yeah. But it's, it's funny because there's another podcast that we love. It's called the Barbecue Central Show. And the host, Greg Rempe, happens to be an Ohio University Bobcat. He's an alum. Mm -hmm. Haven't and, we been on that? Faye? Yeah, we have. I think oh, we were on that show. Oh, you were on with Greg. Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we did. Okay. Because he listens to this show. And I was going to say, he's friends with Jason Kaplan. Oh, and cool. so, and he's a big Howard Stern fan. So it's just, you know. Small world. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> well, I, I mean, if you listen to the show a lot, you know that anyone who's remotely overweight, Howard just rails on him on the show. Oh, and yeah. then like, I've always been nervous about like going on the show with my 
fat dad bod talking about barbecue and just like <laughs> if Howard listened to the show being like, hey, how about instead of sitting around grilling, you get off your ass and go for a walk and eat a salad? <laughs> or get on a Peloton. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, Jeff, I'm sorry. Go. No, well, I was going to say they're talking about grill box before. And then and, and I see in the book a big two page spread that grill marks are for posers. Yep. Posers. <laughs> well, no, there's two grill marks are for posers, but also for Applebee's or Ponderosa commercials. They're pretty cool, too. <laughs> you said Ponderosa, man. You just really dated yourself right hey, there. <laughs> Ponder- Ponderosa. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. That's been forever gone. <laughs> you know, you guys, you took a turn on a, a beer canned chicken with this pineapple juice canned turkey. This seems by the way. The original title for that people found too confusing, but we called it the pineapple can up the turkey can turkey. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, that is an insane. That recipe is so simple and so insanely good. And uh, I encourage everyone to make that one. That is bananas. I think it's such a good, such a good recipe. Oh, definitely. Can can we tell you for a second why we're saying that? Why grill marks are for posers? Sure. No, you cannot. Of course you can. (laughs) Okay. So you guys (laughs) Um, so so the mired reaction that happens on the outside of the steak adds flavor and adds an extra layer of texture right so you're getting this nice crust and then you got the nice medium rare inside and anywhere that you don't have so if you do grill marks anywhere where there's not a grill mark you've left flavor on the table right so that's why if you go to a really high-end restaurant they're either going to pan sear it so it's going to have edge to edge sear or they're going to do it in like the 1100 degree broiler at like the Peter Lugers of the world. And you're going to get edge to edge sear. If you go to a steakhouse and the steak is more than $75 and it comes out with grill marks, ask for your money back and go the heck somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. So, so we don't want the cross hatch. You know how there were some cookbooks and some people you put it this way, you get the, the grill marks in one direction, and then no. you turn it in the opposite direction because no. you want the cross hatch grill marks. No, we told the food stylist that helped us with our cookbook if anyone brought one of those uh, cattle, cattle prod iron things to do fake grill marks, they'd be fired on the spot. <laughs> now, doing, doing grill marks on other stuff where like the mired reaction isn't key is great. You know, like a le- really lean piece of pork, you're never really going to get an edge to edge steer. So you might as well, you know, add some exciting visual texture to it by doing the grill marks. But steak in particular, more sears better. What's your opinion? Mayonnaise. We've got here in the the East New York and everything. We've got Hellman's, although now Kensington and all these other mayos. There's a Japanese mayo. Uh, it's coming in. Yuppie. But or Dukes. Have you guys had? You must have had Duke's yeah. mayo, right? I lived in Atlanta for a little bit. Yeah, uh-huh. I mean, they they pour it in your mouth at the state line. <laughs> what do you think, Hellman's or Duke's? I'm Hellman's. Okay. Yeah, I mean, best foods and Hellman's are there are the apparently the same thing. So they just happen to one says Hellman's best foods and the other says it. So in Ohio, it's Hellman's, but out here it's best foods. And I like gotcha. gotcha. I like Dukes. It has a little, it has a little tang to it. Which, it's not which like, like Miracle Whip, right? Where they're putting paprika in it. No, you know, it's no. just got a little bit of acid, some kind of, some kind of acid in there. Like a little, yeah. I think it's a, like an apple cider vinegar. Yeah. It's, I'm saying it's got some type of, I like it too, though. I don't dislike it at all. It, 
it the Duke's lends itself really good to do things like you know white Alabama barbecue sauce and stuff like that because it has the twang. But I, my favorite is QP. It's just I don't know what it is. It's just so smooth. That's but. the Japanese. That's the, yeah, the Japanese mayo, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's so funny because I wanted to try Duke's for the longest time, and and somebody kept saying to me, "Well, you could just buy it on Amazon or go on the internet. You can mm-hmm. get it." But I didn't want that. I had to find it in a store. <laughs> I did it on you sound like my mom. I'm sorry. <laughs> she's like, she's like, those are from the east. I got these Stouffer Italian cookies that we had growing up, and they only made them. They only had them like in the Northeast, in these little bodegas, like the little, uh, the little S, like the coffee cookies or whatever they're called. She's like, to this day, like in 2022, I'm like, hey, I got those for my grandmother and sent them to her. She's like how did you find those in Idaho? I'm like, by getting on my computer and typing in <laughs> amazon.com. I mean, yeah. are you crazy? It's like so easy. You can get anything. It's prime day. Get yeah, on there. Yeah, exactly. Right? I, I want to ask you, who, who, took, who was the photographer that, for this book? I mean, it, it, these pictures are great. I mean, the so his name's Ken Goodman, and we were his 50th cookbook. He is, not only is he one of the most talented food photographers we've ever seen. And we've seen a lot at this point. He also has a policy that every single thing that he shoots, you have to be able to eat. So in other words, there's no glue, there's no adhesive, there's no spritzing of whatever, whatever, there's no lacquer, you know, every single thing that we made and every single picture was edible and we ate it. Yeah. An amazing playlist that comes with him uh, during his entire time. This guy just like, rocks out to amazing playlists the whole time. It's great. <laughs> His uh, fatal flaws, he drinks only IPA. Um, Major but flaw. The yeah. other thing about Ken Goodman is the fact that he is an upper echelon barbecue competition person that has, he's won the Jack. He's been a grand champion at the Jack. Oh. So he you knows. Guys have, you guys should have Ken Goodman him. on because yeah. that dude has some stories. Yeah. Yep. He, Jeff. Ken Goodman. I'm putting him on the list. Yeah. I think he may have. He's he's an insanely talented person. He's also like a sweetheart and, you know, love love the guy. He's, he's, we hope that we get to do lots more work with Ken. So, so that means more books. Well, we've already done commercial work with him actually since the book. Okay. We have. (laughs) All right. Now, Mark, you have uh, a few guitars behind you. And I know for people listening to this, they won't see them, but I'm going to just take a guess although i know howard stern has guitars behind him and he doesn't play but i'm gonna guess you play guitar yeah i i'm i'm an avid guitar fan and an okay player i put my skill set on about a three out of ten but i i was a tour manager and front of house audio engineer in the music business for 12 years music has always been a part of my life both professionally and as a passion and i've just it's, it's funny the cameras are opposite but this guitar here I mean, people can't see it's a podcast, but it's it's a Gibson SG, and it's one of the two guitars that Adam Levine used in their first music video for Harder to Breathe for Maroon 5, and I worked with them for a while. So I just like, you know, when I was on the road, like I fell in love with so many different types of gear, you know? I find myself, like I have a, only one amplifier left I want to get, and I could talk about the my the last guitar for my collection that I can't find, but yeah, I love it, but it's... It's uh, the the actual guitar playing is uh, not great. <laughs> and Jeff, you noticed something behind Faye. Yeah, there's a uh, baseball picture behind you there. Oh yeah, 
Yeah. That's my, that's probably my claim to fame, man. I, that's in uh, Cooper stadium in Columbus. And so the farm team for the Yankees. So I, I grew up in Columbus, Ohio with the Yankees. Ah, and okay. so I saw all of them in pinstripes and ring the bell, but this, I have a, I have a, a knee brace on after surgery and both my hands are broken and I hit a yard ball here off of, uh, this is an all state game. So I was an all state baseball player. I went to actually, that's why I was actually went to OU in the first place was to play baseball. Oh, so you, um, it's you and then it's Mike Schmidt and then you. The two. Yeah, no, it's Mike Schmidt and Mike Schmidt, man. It's like, <laughs> uh, I, I was, I was quickly cut because of my injury and I never played it organized baseball again, but I, I was an all state, my, my whole, my whole uh, high school career. And I played it at, as you know, Midwest, like Midwest, Ohio, you know, middle of the, the, the States it's baseball, baseball, baseball. And, mm. you know, since we were two, we were, we were hitting balls, but yeah, that was my, my dad actually caught the bat on the ball and it's a blurry. I went out at, uh, went out at three seventy eight. Nice. Uh, nice. What, nice. what was your position? I was a shortstop my whole career. Okay. The only the only impressive thing I ever did at Cooper Stadium has to do with Diamond Dog Night, but we don't need to get into that. <laughs> no, you brought and it I, up. I've witnessed that from him, man, and it is impressive. Let me tell you. <laughs> you know, you mentioned music before, so I'm going to ask you this question. There's a chapter in your book called International Men of Mystery, and all I can see in the background is the Austin Powers theme. That photo that we took, so... Ken Goodman, he took all those photos as well, not just the food. And we were walking inside. I mean, we rented an Airbnb in Meridian, Idaho. We were like in the middle of like suburban planned community, people driving by in minivans while we were taking that picture, trying to decide if they should call 911 or laugh. And we were walking inside. Ken Goodman, it goes, he goes, that picture was really, that's, that's going to work. That was great. And we're like, how do you know that? And he goes, a, I've never done anything like it before, and B, it was incredibly stupid. <laughs> so I know it's going to be perfect for your guys' book. Yeah, <laughs> we were like, "Thank you, that was really nice." Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you know how you know when there's a lot of podcasts is when I was doing my research on you guys, and I see that uh, Mark, you were on the Boise Bubble podcast, and I enjoyed listening to it. It was very good, but it's like another podcast. <laughs> There's no lack of podcasts. I'll tell no you that. Podcasts, yeah, yeah the, um, Natalie's great. The yeah. and her husband Shane. I mean, the the Boise Bubble is incredible. Yeah, it was a very good podcast. But I'm just like amazed. I was like, oh, I cannot believe another one. Yep, there's a lot. <laughs> so you want to tell me about this picture right here? And what I'm going to describe is Faye getting punched. <laughs> it's just a picture of him getting punched. I want to know why is that. It's well, I just day. saw the face that Faye was making for that shoot. And it just, it just made me so angry. <laughs> there's a lot of, if, if you guys watch our stuff from our shows, like to the stuff that we do online, there's a lot of physical humor that we, we, we tend to do, unfortunately. And maybe it's because, I don't know, I have cast iron skin or something. I tend to be the receiver of a lot of the pain that Mark puts on me for some reason. He'll throw heavy things at me or drop something on me or whatever, but I just see it tends to be what happens with us. Hit you with some uh, bone in raw chicken. Hit me with some raw chicken. Yeah. It just doesn't matter, man. He's throwing, he's always throwing stuff at me. The stooges of cooking. Uh-huh. Wise guy. Well, you know, it's funny. That's one thing Guy Fieri said to us too. He was just like, 
I don't, he's like, what you guys do, we can't recreate. Like it's, you can't act that because Mark's Mark and Faye's Faye. And that's just the way you got, like we've known each other for so long. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, you should see us cook together. If we're not on camera and there's, we forget to talk because it's, we have this, like we have each, each other knows roles and respond. I mean, I will literally behind my back, hand him a sharp 12 inch chef's knife as he's walking by and like, yeah. This whole coordinated thing we do, people can never believe how how we could cook together like that. Yeah, we got in trouble for being yeah. to, being able to communicate without talking on the reality show. Because it was weird. The yeah. first day we had to cook, and we made uh, grilled mango stuffed uh, mascarpone French toast on the grill grates directly That's on the grill, no pan. And um, and like, okay, now go and cook. And all the competitors were cooking. And Faye and I were like instantly like we forgot about the entertainment. We're like, our goal is to make the best bite of food. And guy came over to us first. He goes, no, no, no. The, actually, the, no, the first time he came over, he goes, hey, guys, can I give you a little piece of information? This is off camera. Like, sure. He goes, it's a TV show. You have to fucking talk to each other. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, thanks. And then. uh and then we're like, we turned in the food and guy walked past us and turned around and was facing away from us. And he's like, seriously, step it up and just walked away. Yeah. And we're like, whoa. Well, that's where like, we, we didn't even want to be there necessarily. We're just like, okay, fine. We'll step it up, whatever that means. But he was right. And then we, we actually did have the best bite of food that day, by the way, for the record. So even though. It never even was talked about on the show. Which no, it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, but it's fun. It's fun, guys. Like the thing, this coordination and this kind of like dumb and dumber or this act or whatever it is, like we found there isn't a lot of levity in food. And that's something that we love to bring. That's one of the reasons we like to do this stuff in crowds, like on stages, you know, with a big bunch of people doing demos. Um, there's obviously similar gaffes that we play and things that we, we fall some tropes that we fall into, but at the same time, Mark and I have been, we're so responsive off of each other and off of the crowd that we can hold, we can hold our own. We can definitely hold the pocket. Like when we're up performing, we love to perform. It's really fun for us. So that's what you, you're creative, you performers, you great cooks. Um, I feel like I'm writing your dating app, but it's, I mean, it was waiting great. for good looking, but we never somehow never got it. Face for radio. <laughs> Space yeah. <for> jet. <laughs> yep. So, you know, I just want to get back to your, your kids for a second. So Mark, your son says his favorite, favorite thing in the book is the uh, strawberry French toast that you make. Why is that? I mean, it must uh, be so good. He's very you, similar to his dad. He's, like breakfast is the highlight of the day. Most of the time on the weekends, we plan big breakfast and then maybe we get to dinner. Maybe we don't. So he and I have always been the same way. And I mean, it's just, it's stuffed. I mean, we make homemade strawberry jam to go on the inside with the mascarpone and it's like, you know, use this thick cut bread and it's eggy and delicious. I mean, it's just epic French toast. Mm. <laughs> and, and Faye, your daughter, Zoe, uh, Says she's an omnivore. Well, well, what's her favorite thing in the in the cookbook? So Zoe, Zoe, uh, man, she Zoe's born and raised in LA. So her palate consists of her charcuterie board. Uh, you've never seen a kid that can eat more cured meats and pickled cornichons and all this stuff. But I think Zoe's Zoe's dish of choice in that book is one of the simplest things we make. It is called Spanish toast, and it's just grilled baguette 
with pureed tomatoes, fresh pureed Roma tomatoes, a little bit of sea salt, um, maldon, some olive oil, and then it's topped with a little bit of jamon uh, serrano or prosciutto, and that's it. Wow. That's a breakfast. That's what she likes to eat for breakfast, actually, pretty often. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, Jeff, they say you should never go to the grocery store hungry. And I ate before this and, yeah. and I am like, dude, the, the food is good. Like the food is really, our food is good. And that's the thing. Yeah. It's like, we're not trying to be French laundry. Cause that's just mm-hmm. it's bizarre, but like, and I respect all that stuff sort of, but uh, our food is edible. and you eat our food you know it's like (laughs) yeah one of the great things about writing the book for us is it was like halfway through the book i was like man we really do have a culinary point of view and it's strong it's like this is a mistake don't do this like turn your steak a hundred times not once grill marks are proposers like here's why like so we want you know our our whole thing with this book is like we want it. We said to the publisher, it can either be the best book, best selling book you've ever had, or the worst. But we refuse to disappear into the middle of the pack with a safe book. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a, definitely a, a unique cookbook, a fun cookbook. It's really, I mean, it's great to have. And before we let you go, uh, please let us know where we can pick up the book and any social media. I know it says you know how to use it, so uh, tell us about it. Yeah, well, you can you can find everything about us at thegrilldads.com. We've got a, a pretty we've got a new site we just launched. Um, we have a whole merchandise line, and you can um, buy the cookbook at any of your favorite retailers. Um, you can get it digitally anywhere as well. So whether it's on Kindle or Amazon, it's on iTunes. Uh, it's sold in Barnes and Noble, Amazon, Walmart, Target, uh, specialty bookstores as well. So pretty much anywhere you can find books, um, you can mm-hmm. find the the cookbook. And then, you know, one of the, one of our, one of the things we love to, you know, kind of direct people toward is, is our Instagram page, just because it's at the grill dads, very simple. Um, and we run, we run a lot of contests. We give away a lot of stuff. So we we're very fortunate guys. And I think we continue to take the things that we make from the grill dads and we like to give a lot of it back to, to the people that support us. So we've been running a thing called the year of hundred giveaways where twice a week, every week, uh, for the whole year, we're giving away something that's featured in the video. We just won't tell you what it was until it comes out. So, so you whether, might win a puking duck gravy boat or an all expenses paid trip to Vegas. Ooh, yeah. I would actually like the our gravy Vegas boat. winners are there now. Uh, yeah, see, but yeah. the gravy boat is still up for grabs. I mean, no, no, that's that's gone spoken too, but, for actually. But but, oh. but but we will. There are some now. Listen, there's some really good prizes, Leonard, coming up that you'll want to take a look at. Very fun. like a fork to stab the meat because you know you guys know you gotta you gotta make sure you put holes in that meat, right? No. <laughs> what the hell's no. wrong with you? Necessarily. <laughs> That's a potato. So you do that with a potato. Uh, Not necessarily uh, with your chef. Steak. I I can't. I'm done. <laughs> I know. So you have into the barbecue, Leonard. <laughs> exactly. You have you have into your Facebook, right? You have YouTube. Yep, YouTube. It's all under the grill, Dad. We're on the tickle talks and the as tickle well, talks. So we heard. Oh, the TikToks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how about, how, about, how about the Twitter? Uh, we are. No. We don't. We don't really want anyone to go there. It's dumb. Uh, uh, so Twitter is angry and anger. politics. We don't do either. Uh, of that's true. But <laughs> too much anger in that platform. I, I just but, skip over that stuff. I mean, I, I just scroll past that. 
But yeah, uh, and we also are. So our, we have some fun episodes from some celebrity chefs. And we also have Eva and some other people on our, our podcast, which is no longer being produced, but it's still on Apple. It was actually number one on Apple for food on iTunes uh, when it was uh, out. But it's called The Bone-In Podcast with Mark and Faye. Huh. Excellent. And you can subscribe on the website, which I'm going to do right now. And yep. uh, that, that's great. We're, and we thank we're you. really ramping up the recipes, by the way. So we, you know, the Food Network owned the name The Grilled Outs for a while. So we didn't spend a whole bunch of time and energy with the website. But, you know, Faye mentioned we have the merch, all the stuff. We also, we have like 100 grilling recipes up there and we're adding two a week. So mm-hmm. if you sign up for the email list, uh, you'll get notifications about new merch, what our grilling recipe of the week is, uh, exciting stuff with any of our partners like Meter or Certified Piedmontese. So it's a really great way to stay in touch with us. Oh, absolutely. Big news in September. So early September. We can't say anything. Oh, you can't break news now? Come on. Break it. Big news in September. Check it out. The only thing fake and break now is wind, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I can. <laughs> You guys are thank great. You. We, love your, we love your podcast too. So thank you so much. Um, thank you. Keep doing it. Keep rocking. Call Ken Goodman. Don't stab your steak. And uh, have a great <laughs> have a great day. <laughs> thank you thank guys. You. Thank you, you so much. Yep. We appreciate it. Thank you guys. Take Thanks. Care. Bye. Jeff. You. They also get a wow. <laughs> they were good. They were. Funny. Yeah. Yeah. Get the book. I mean, that. What? What a fun cookbook that was. Yeah, that's it for a cookbook to be to be humorous and to be an enjoyable read. It's actually fun to read the cookbook. Yes. And I hope one day you will make me that the tomahawk tomahawk, tomahawk steak. Yes. Yeah. Well, the way the price of meat is now the price of anything. I don't know. I I would like to say that maybe I have to put that in my will, like to to will you the 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 money to buy a couple of tomahawk steaks because yeah. their their recipes are fantastic. Th- those pizza bombs are so good. And yes. and I've ever since we did the interview with them, I've been thinking about different ways to make those those pizza bombs. All right. So Len, before we end the show, don't you have something to say? Yes, I do. I want everybody to know that we are brought to you by Bet Online, where the game starts. And also, if I could just shout out to our friend Ray Sheehan of Barbecue Buddha, go online, barbecuebuddha.com for his sauces, his rubs, his cookbooks, and of course, baseballbbq.com for their incredible grilling tools and accessories. I, what, what else can I say, Jeff, other than we have to end this. We, and ha- we do. And how do we end this? We're going to end it with the poet, Shel Krakowski, the musician, Dave Dresser, and the song, Baseball Always Brings You Home. Thanks, everyone. See you next time.